You're listening to the Thousand Hills Podcast. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Thousand Hills Podcast, where we seek to help mindful theology become powerful faith. The title of today's message is Kaleidoscope Christianity, and it's on a topic that is central to the Christian life and of the utmost importance, the validity and inerrancy of the Bible. Amen. Thank you, Gary. Good morning, everybody. We're going to be talking about um, a topic today that we've entitled, let's go to that title slide for me, Kaleidoscope Christianity, guys, and uh, I know it's a little bit hard to read, but it looked really cool, so I thought it was worth it. But to start off our message, I'm going to need a volunteer. Um, I love picking on people I know. How about it, Mr. Warner? What do you think? I mean, come on, you're already actively a part of the messages, right? Paul teaches and he texts me, he's like, heh. (laughs) <laughs> like, that's it? Come on up. I, I, I need you right up here with me. Uh, we're going to do a, a little experiment real quick, and I'm sure you're very familiar with cabling. All right, so here's a little spool of uh, instrument cable, right, or my, speaker cable, I think. Um, I need you to hold it away from your body like this and just try to keep that 90. I haven't been to the I know. It's okay, man. It's, it's been cold. You, you got that? Yeah. You want to turn a little for me? Yeah. Um, awesome. And then, Corey, let's go ahead and turn off the lights because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm young and we don't need all the lights on. Thank you, man. Awesome. Ta-da! And now we have him ready to go. Okay, guys, so we're going to pay attention here. Uh, how heavy does this feel if you had to guess the weight? Uh, I don't know. Just give me your best approximation. Six kilograms. Six kilograms, got it. Okay, we're going to keep that number in mind. Thank you for the metric. Um, and we're going to talk about kaleidoscopes now. Totally unrelated, see me? We'll get there. How many of us have uh, played with a kaleidoscope before? Know what a kaleidoscope is? Have any of us not? There's a couple younger people in here. All right, so for those who have not played with the kaleidoscope, it's a nice little toy. It's very unique. Why? Uh, because you can shake it around. You twist a little end cap, and you see different things in it, right? Uh, you see different patterns and colors and images. Uh, it's just really, really interesting. So when I was a kid, uh, we went to this place called Shakey's, and it's kind of like if um, Pizza Hut and Chuck E. Cheese had a kid. It's like brick wall, really nice looking, but at the same time, there's also uh, arcade games in there stuff. So we would go to this place, right, and we would play these arcade games. We had like $3, put the quarters in, we play. We redeemed our tickets that day at that visit, which is very special, for little kaleidoscopes, right? And these little kaleidoscopes um, were about this big. They probably cost like eight cents to make, but we paid like $3 for the coins and then thought we got to steal when we were kids for getting these, right? And we sat at our shaky table waiting for the pizza to be made and brought to our table. And... Then we ate our pizza, and we got right back to playing with these kaleidoscopes. It was probably the nicest dinner that my parents shared with us in silence and in nice um, manneredness that they probably had in like eight years at that point, right? And so we sat there playing with our little kaleidoscopes, shaking them around, turning them, trading them, having a nice time looking at all the patterns. And what was really nice about those kaleidoscopes is you could play with this in so many different ways, right? You look at pretty much any source of light in the room and uh, see something cool. You could turn it any which way, and there was like no wrong way to mix it up. It would come out with something neat looking. In addition to that, what I saw in my kaleidoscope was no less valid than what David saw in his kaleidoscope or anybody else. There was no right or wrong way to interpret the patterns. It was just a really, really neat toy. What you perceived um, was very much upon what you wanted to perceive and about what you were looking for, right? You could twist it any which way and see something very impressive and ignore the boring parts of it. And yet I learned something two weeks later. One of them broke and only five little plastic circles dropped out of the end of it. That's off. You're you're trapped. Only five little plastic circles. And they were like red, green, yellow, purple, blue, right? 
And I realized in that moment um, that these were very limited toys. That the truth was, over those weeks, as I had turned this thing and convinced myself that I'd seen something different, um, I had probably seen the same pattern quite a few times. In fact, the real strength of this toy um, was not the fact that it was actually changing a whole lot when I twisted it. The strength of the toy was my perception of it was changing. I was noticing the purple pattern instead of the blue pattern. I was noticing the white spaces in between instead of looking at the colors themselves. Things like that. My perception was what made the toy so interesting. I was subconsciously ignoring the repeating colors and details and instead chose to see what I wanted to out of this kaleidoscope. Again, my perception was changing, not the toy. I was choosing to allow my eyes to notice certain things subconsciously so that I could enjoy the experience and... um, Find something fresh in it, because that's what I believed that it would be. All right, buddy. I want to ask you a question. Does this spool seem to have changed in weight, if you had to guess? Did it it change in its mass? Nope. No? Does it feel heavier now? Yeah. Why? Because I've been holding it out here off and on for the last... There you go. Because you've been holding it off and on for quite a bit. So, in other words, you would say that it feels heavier now. You've experienced it feeling heavier, and to your perception right now, it has changed in weight, just because your exhaustion has set in. But that is not factually true. So your perception is different than the actuality in this scenario. Thank you so much. Can we have a round of applause for Mr. Warner? Thank you, sir. I know I picked something kind of heavy. I just wanted to make sure we didn't end up with like a really tough guy, just like, no problem, and just totally blow the whole point of the example. And I know, like I said, you're a bit of a beefcake, so I just wanted to make sure. These two examples (laughs) draw our attention to something. There are two, two things that we can consider true. Our perception of reality and what is factual. In my perception of reality, my kaleidoscope changed every time I looked at it. The truth was that most likely it was just my perception of the the kaleidoscope that was changing. In this example, Mr. Warner uh, knows factually that the weight has not changed. However, fatigue makes it appear that it is getting heavier as time wears on. So we're faced with the question now of how will we judge reality through fact or, or through experience? Do we allow our feelings and perception to shape reality around us? Or is it reality that shapes the truth? Is it the sole facts and standards that cause something to be true? The core, um, I'm sorry, this, this is a really hot button thing right now because this is at the core of a lot of arguments in our society right now. Um, perception versus fact. It's at the heart of arguments such as gender identity, social justice, parenting, lawmaking, and also strangely enough, now Christianity. Why would Christianity find itself amongst these ranks? Well, Christianity is facing the same issue that the secular world is right now with the question of what will we allow to shape what we believe, our perception or the facts that we know. This question has sharply divided our churches today because for so long the standard of the church has been an unchanging and authoritative Bible. But now there's been a bit of a questioning as to whether or not that is the standard we should go by. There's a questioning of what the Bible really is and really means if it is still as potent as it once was viewed as being, which leads us to our first question of the day. What do we believe the Bible is? This is a very important question because it shapes many things about us, right? 
This question also is the point at which the church divided a bit. One and two, a group that I would call kaleidoscope Christians. But let me explain what that term means. There are a group of Christians nowadays who believe the Bible is much like that child's toy, the kaleidoscope. Something to be shook around, twisted, rearranged, and valued as they see fits. They create their own spiritual kaleidoscope filled with holy-sounding words and loosely gathered morals that allow them to create a version of scripture, doctrine, and truth that is appealing to them. They cling to the belief that the Bible is just like a kaleidoscope, fluid, and that their experiences are just as valid, if not more valid, than scripture because it feels true to them. They will willingly ignore passages of scripture that do not appeal to them by labeling them ancient cultural prejudices, myths, Bronze Age answers to Bronze Age questions, and ultimately shrug off direct mandates of the Bible because, quote, this doesn't apply to me. This is written for someone else to other cultures. This means that the Bible to them is repeatedly in error, and that while concepts like loving others are still pertinent today, they would say that many of the condemnations, many of the instructions, and many of the teachings are not currently worth including in Christianity. Simply put, they are unwilling to believe that the Bible is inerrant, meaning to be without faults or error, to be perfect. Because that would cause Christianity to become far too rigid and too absolute for them to be able to reshape this is incredibly dangerous, guys. Why? Because this interpretation of what the Bible is stands so far apart from what biblical authors such as Paul, King David, and Jesus himself tell us the Bible is. So let's look at what the Bible plainly claims to be and what it states itself to be, beginning in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 5 and 6. It says, every word of God is flawless. Can you guys say the word flawless with me? beautiful. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And in verse 6, do not add to his words or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. What we see in this passage is that the Bible itself claims to be without flaw or mistake. And for that reason, God can be a shield that protects us. And this is very important because it means that the Bible is supposed to serve as a refuge for us in times of struggle. I need to be able to run to my Bible and see the promises God makes without wondering if what I'm reading is actually true or is to be discounted. I can find no strength if I stand on shaky ground. Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away meaning that Jesus never intended the things he spoke to be discounted or cast aside as any less meaningful as time marched on. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, And we also thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, that means through human mouths, you accepted it not as what human word, but as it is actually, or as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. 
Paul directly makes the claim that the Bible is not the words of men, but rather is indeed 100% authentically God's message and instructions to us. King David says in Psalms 160, I'm sorry, 119 verse 160 says, all your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. Can you guys say eternal? Meaning what? Timeless, not passing away, not discounted with chronological change. There's no need for editing or correcting them during human history. They're forevermore valuable through eternity. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 through 17 says this, and we're going to take our time on these ones because this one's chunky. This one's meaty. I love this. All scripture is God breathes and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And verse 17 says this, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every Good work. Let's break it down. Paul tells us again, the Bible claims to be God-breathed, meaning in some way the Bible is akin to us. Let me explain that. The creation of a sovereign God without compromise or deviation because God was not inhibited as he created and breathed life into us. When God created us out of the dust and bestowed his breath into our lungs, giving us life, there was no middleman, was there? It never says God wanted to make us this way, but was inhibited by the materials, therefore had to settle for making us this way. God had in his heart a design for us, an image in his likeness, and he performed it, again, without deviation or limitation, creating us. Likewise, God was not inhibited by the knowledge or understanding of men as the Bible was being created and breathed into in fact, to say the Bible is indeed limited because of its authors is against some of the scriptures we just read which called the Bible flawless and not human words. Scripture, folks, is a house of cards. When we start to pull things out of it, it starts to collapse in on itself really, really quickly. The Bible also claims here to be a worthy standard to live by. So that we can use this to, quote, rebuke and correct ourselves firstly, but also our brothers and sisters through love and mercy. I mean, this standard is still valid throughout time. It is not challenged by societal norms. It is not changed by the things around us. It stands as valid as the day it was written because it is God-breathed and by His wisdom. The Bible here claims to be written to impact us by teaching and equipping us for the tasks that we will take on in our lives today, here and now, in our culture, in the year of our Lord, 2021. And all of these scriptures conjugate, they come together to fall into direct opposition against the claim that the Bible is out of date, solely written to ancient cultures, or incorrect in any way, shape, or form. It leaves no space for any other interpretation. And as Christians, we must obey the Bible and absolutely stick to our guns in this claim of the perfection of the Bible. We come across a bit of an internal topic in conversation here, though. We know that the church is divided over this issue. And uh, we know that Christ ultimately longs for unity within the church. He wants us to work together, to love one another. He wants unity within the body, right? Many different parts, but one body, meaning that we will not all be the same. 
God bless the Pentecostals for what they are and the Catholics for what they are and all the parts of the body. And we should not just be making our ministries, ministries full of, well, I'm just going to pick on this person and pick on this person and pick on this person because they don't do what I like in this way and they don't do what I like in this way and kill ourselves and just nitpicking others while not accomplishing anything in our lives. So in that spirit, we must ask ourselves, is this a big enough topic to divide over? Is this a hill to die on? And ultimately ask our next slide right here, the question of does this topic matter? I don't want to break fellowship with somebody because they wore Uggs into the church service. I don't want to break fellowship with somebody because they listen to secular music. I don't want to break fellowship with someone uh, because the church demands that their preacher wear a suit and not a flannel and jeans. Those are not worth the time of day. Those are not worth the arguments. Those are not worth the division. But is this worth it? The answer is emphatically yes. Yes and amen. Our belief on this topic is important. Why? Because the topic of biblical inerrancy will shape everything about us and will also determine if there's any solid foundation upon which we can stand and share the gospel to the world. It will also shape what the gospel we give is. So I want to look at four different aspects in which this affects the Christian life. I want to look at four areas where our belief and stance on biblical inerrancy will dictate how we act and look and sound and many other things. So number one, the first thing it affects is our attitude towards God. Our attitude towards God. We are called to be uh, um, humble. We're called to humility and, and to submit to the scriptures according to the word so that God may correct and grow us. Jesus even sets an example for us in this in Matthew chapter, verse, um, chapter 5, verses 17 through 18, and we read this. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter, nor the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Jesus it was a radical figure in his day, guys. Jesus stood apart from what most of the religious community thought he should be and the practices that they engaged in because they engaged in religion rather than relationship. We see pictures of this in the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Pharisees getting mad that Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath because the Sabbath day is for rest. Do you think God really is more concerned with the fact that Jesus lifted a finger or that a child was delivered into faith? They thought that it was the writing of the law that mattered most. And Jesus, they saw as a figure who was challenging that, coming to upend the apple cart. Jesus told them, no, I'm not against the scripture. I'm not against the things that came before. Rather, I am the completion of them. I'm not here to deal with the prophets. I'm here to fulfill the prophecy. I'm not here to tell you to discard the laws of the Old Testament's. I'm here to fulfill them and live by them and show you how you can too. Not through uh, aspiration, uh, uh, through your own strength, but rather through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I'm here to show you that there's redemption to be found, that you can live according to the law, not because you are sinless, but because you are redeemed, sanctified, made holy through my blood. Jesus did not come to tell us that the Old Testament is no longer of value. Rather, he was there to emphasize the value of Scripture through his life, 
through his examples and through his teaching, he was ultimately the most humble and submitted person to the word that we see anywhere in the Bible because he lived his entire life to fulfill it, not to do away with it. And when we see the submission that Jesus shows in the Bible and to the scripture, we're left with the question, how can we do anything else but that? And yet some still choose to ignore the authority of scripture. When they have been given the choice, they choose to, dis to display pride instead of this godly humility. We can choose a pride so potent that we believe that we can decide which scripture is worthy of our time and which scripture we will follow through our own understanding, even though we have an example of Christ who followed all of it and told us that none of it would pass away. This, my friends, is a pride so potent that a lightning strike might be considered a great mercy to everyone in the immediate vicinity. This pride will lead us to an outright willful rebellion against God and will deliver us into the hands of damnation so quickly Amazon Prime shipping would blush. Second way it affects the Christian life. If the authority of the scripture can be called into question and the parts of the Bible, I'm sorry, and parts of the Bible uh, can no longer be trusted, then the question begins to be asked, um, what part of the Bibles are we going to accept? What part of the Bible are we going to allow into our lives? What part of the Bible will we obey? We will start to find ourselves creating our theology by starting at the point which we want to arrive at and then tracing messily whatever we have to to get there. We will start with the conclusion and desired outcome in mind, and then we will do anything we must to reach that conclusion. And it will cause us to filter out understanding who God is through scriptural truth and instead implement this next slide, relying on our own experiences and emotions. We will no longer judge scripture by scripture. We will no longer judge God by a standard. We will start to judge it by what we feel is right and by what we have experienced to be true. As an example of this, there's a Christian music artist. Her name is Lauren Daigle. Some of you guys have heard of her. She was publicly asked on a radio show if she thought homosexuality was a sin. And her reply was, I can't honestly answer that in the sense of I have too many people that I love and they are homosexuals. This is a prime example, guys, of experience and emotion guiding us rather than the Bible. She is not saying, let us look at the Bible for truth in this. She's not saying, um, you know what, I would have to study the scripture and, and say, or I have studied the scripture and therefore come to this conclusion. She is saying that I love people, therefore I do not want to say that it is. And while that might be a beautiful heart to not want to um, push people further from Christ, the truth is that the most loving action we can take is to push them closer to Christ, not simply to leave them where they are. We see this in Leviticus 18.22. You shall not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is detestable. And this is a topic of no meaningful discussion unless we start with the fact that the Bible is not the standard and it's not the thing that we're going to judge our actions by or unless we believe that it is just flat out wrong. We, we did a, a whole study about this last Friday in our young adults group, guys. And we wanted to read through the scripture and interpret whether or not 
what we believed was true. It is not a healthy thing to let dogma drive your life, meaning that it's just something someone told you and you believe it and you're never going to deviate from it because, I don't know, grandma said so, or mom said so, or my friend said so, or my church said so. It's not helpful to not be an informed Christian. We must be informed Christians who make judgments based on the scripture. So in our young adults group, we decided to look up what the stance of a LGBTQ plus affirming church was, the stance of a professor from Loyola who has a, a doctorate in Old Testament studies, and the scripture, and then try to come to an informed decision of what we believed to be true. I can tell you guys right now, there is no quarter in the Bible. There is no safe place for them to run to. There is no scripture that can be used or valid interpretation to be given that says the Bible does not speak on homosexuality or speaks on it in a favorable light. If you guys want to have that discussion after church, if this is something that you feel underinformed about or you feel has been um, something that is tough for you to tackle or something that you feel like is driving a wedge between you and God, I encourage you to come and speak to me after because I would really love to talk about this topic. It is a very important topic about how we are to love people through this, right? In addition to that, if you guys don't feel comfortable with having that discussion in person, like I said, on our YouTube page, Dulos YA, you guys can find that study. It's the most recent one. Click on it and you'll get about an hour and 15 minutes of content there and the actual discussion taking place, if that's the avenue you want to take. But the point is this. If we're going to create our own spiritual kaleidoscope here, then we will simply keep twisting that lens until what we believe doesn't alienate the world or condemn the actions of people that we love around us or the stances they take. We will simply shake and rotate our lenses until we feel comfortable with what we see. We will allow emotion and experience to be the validity of what we believe and the power of what we believe rather than submitting to the Bible. We will allow ourselves to start with the conclusion we desire and form any sort of doctrine that it takes to get us there. Agree with any sort of argument, no matter half, how half-baked it is, in order to arrive to where we want to be. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like to listen to more messages like this, you can find us on Spotify and iTunes by searching for Thousand Hills Podcast. Thank you for listening to and supporting this ministry of Thousand Hills Church.